If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with MyBookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 97.9 ESPN Radio and a fine libations Friday to you and yours. I'm Jeff. That is Director Matthew. We are online ESPNTallahassee.com. We are also on YouTube. Thanks for watching if you're there. If you want to email, you can. JCS at 97.9 ESPNRadio.com. You can find me on Twitter at Show. It's a good day. You know why it's a good day? Well, it's Friday. But it's also a good day. I, I I did something. This is twice. So Matthew and I were talking before we came on the airwaves here that um, you get to a stage in life and it's like a pit stop. You're coming in to the pits and they've got to they gotta check you. They gotta make sure before they send you back out into the world that you're all right. And I don't like the process. I don't because it, those phone calls and messages and emails that you get from a doctor's office are reminders that you're entering into the part of your life where things tend to go wrong. <laughs> this is where, now, on the one hand, you go in, so I had my physical recently, and you guys know that uh, once you get past 40, though physical is a lot of fun. I mean, it's, no, physicals were never good anyhow, but they're especially not good once you get past 40, they start too much probing and the like, and you, you you become uncomfortable in a hurry. I made my doctor laugh, by the way. This may make you all a little uncomfortable, but I knew uh, earlier this week when I went to the doctors that they were going to do the, the, the thing, the test, you know, that everybody is aware of. And uh, it's necessary. Got to stay out in front of these things. But uh, it felt like we were doing a little dance. Felt like... At, you know, hey, he's asking me about, you know, my wife because she also sees him as uh, her primary care phys- physician. So it's not weird. You know, he knows her. So he's asking about how she's doing. And then he asked me about my kids. And we both knew we were just kind of staving off the inevitable. And I'm watching him closely, watching his hands. 
and we're having a conversation, and he says, uh, so, you know, how's your diet? And we're going through the levels from the blood test and where everything's at, you know. Well, really like your cholesterol. You're in good shape there, you know. Uh, would like you to lose maybe five pounds. Looks like you've been working out, though, so, you know, that's good. And he's, we're, t- we're having all these conversations. And the whole time, I'm thinking, you know what you have to do. And I know what has to be done here. And I don't know if you're like me, but just I would I would struggle with that, Doctor, because I'm just like, let's go. We all know. Yeah. We all know what we're we doing. We know here. what we have to do. Let's just stop with the chit-chat. Yep. I wanted to walk through the door with my pants around my ankles and just say, well, let's get this out of the way up front. If you want to talk to me about my life afterwards, by all means. But let's just get this out of the way. But no, that's not the way they do it. They test you for everything under the sun. And uh, you wait, you await those tests. And then at the very end, the reason I said I was watching his hands, I didn't think it was going to be a sneak attack. But uh, I was, that would have been something. But uh, the reason I was watching his hands was I wait for them to open that cabinet above that sink. Because I know what's in that cabinet. That's where the gauze is. And that's also sometimes where the lube is. And you just think, okay, once they open that cabinet, there's no coming back. And I did make my doctor laugh because somewhere along the way in the chit-chat, I said, let's just get this over with and stood up off the table. And he laughed. Not on the table, but, you know, you're on that makeshift bed-type seated thing. And I stood up, and he he laughed. He goes, okay. He didn't want to do it. Nobody does. That's not, it's very unpleasant. So it happened. Everything went well. He said, it's uh, a very, very healthy, healthy. You're, you're good. I said, okay, that's good to know. But when I'm leaving there, then he wants to give me a shingle shot, which I talked about yesterday. It knocks me on my ass. I get the shingle shot. It worked well. I feel fine now. But anyhow, then, then he says, listen, uh, not for nothing. You know, there are a lot of different levels and in, in ways we can check for plaque and certain buildup and all that around your heart. We want to make sure that we're not going to have any problems down the line, you know. We want to make sure that uh, everything is all right. You don't appear to have any problems, but you never really know. So let's, uh, you know, they have this, they do these things, Matthew, where for executives, pay if you want. I'm sure if you're about to be the head of a company, they'll pay for it. But I'm not about to be the head of a company as much as I'd like to believe that. Uh, so if you want to get the executive heart test where they do everything they possibly can to test your heart, it's $2,500. I mean, they are putting you through your paces at that point to see that this heart is in good working order. Now I'd like that. I would, I want that test. Give me the $2,500 test because I want to know that I'm going to be here for my kids. So that's the whole thing. It's really, that's, you know, that's the deal. But when he told me that you got to, throw down $2,500 on the day of the exam. I say, well, you know, why don't we do the one that's just below the $2,500? I can do the $2,500 test, but it does put a crimp in my style for a few weeks. (laughs) It's not like I've got a kind of a surprise trip planned for the kids and it involves flying and, uh, you know, that's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. So, he says, uh, yeah, there's another one, and that's the one most people get because it's reasonable. And he goes, and to be honest with you, it's the one I would get as the doctor. I said, really? He says, yeah, it's, it's pretty much the same test minus like one or two little things, and it's $250. Oh, so the $2,500 thing is a screw job. 
Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> okay, thanks for the honesty. So we're going to get that done. The whole point of leading with this is that I walked through the doors today fresh off of a phone call for a CT scan for my heart for this appointment. And every day this week, there's been some sort of, all right, you've made it this far. We're very proud of you. Before you enter into that second wave of your life where things do tend to go wrong and we've got to stay out in front of it, let's check all the boxes. Let's make sure you're in good shape. So they do all those things. They schedule all these tests. And the next thing you know, you're just addled with six or seven doctor's appointments for the next two months. And one of them, unfortunately, is going to be a colonoscopy. Damn it, man. And I've got to shake that to come on the air and talk to you guys about sports. It's a toughie. It's a toughie, but it's it's the chosen profession, and it's a good one because it's also something that you can uh, you can have fun with, and it does. It is escapism. It's one of the reasons we love sports. And I would also note that um, I woke up in a great mood this morning because not only did I get the opportunity to stay up late last night, late into the night, watching the Open Championship, I woke up to do the same thing. That's the best part about this championship is you go to bed watching it, and it comes, if you stay up real late, and I did last night, I don't know why. I think it's because I slept the whole day away from the, the shingles day, the day before. So I got like 20 hours of rest. And I was wide awake last night, and it occurred to me there on the Peacock that uh, at uh, 1 o'clock in the morning, they've got live golf. It comes on. It's, it's, now it's sort of the slappies uh, that are going off there. It's not your best players necessarily, although pretty early on we ended up seeing Tony Finau's round. So... And he went minus four. He played well. So I, and I may have a little pizza money on Finau to finish top 10. So that was a good day for Tony. Now, I went and looked and I was like, oh, this is live. My wife's like, why is the TV on at 1.30 in the morning? I said, because the Open Championship is being played. That's why if it was being played at uh, noon, we'd be watching it then. But this is, this is the deal. So she wasn't happy with me. I watched that, got up this morning, I don't know, five hours later. And started watching more. Colin Morikawa dominate the line. Let me give you a little background on this, by the way. This is where I get excited about my other job. or It's it's all broadcasting. But I have had the good fortune to work, and you guys know this because I bring it up a lot. I'm proud of it, and I'm also just excited. It's it's a fun thing. I have had the good fortune of working at SiriusXM uh, for five years, so a little over five years now, uh, on the Sirius XM PGA Tour channel. Uh, and you, you get to know so many great people and you learn so much about the game because that game has never been my primary focus, whereas, say, football over the years on this show, for example, would be. Uh, you feel like you kind of have a good feel over the years for football. You watch so much of it. I played it. You're immersed in it. And you get to know people within the game. So you compare notes and you, you get inside information from those that cover the teams across the country, boots on the ground. Next week's the ACC kickoff. I'm sure, you know, I'll have an op- opportunity to call David Hale or Andrea Adelson and others and get a, get a sense for what they're reporting on. Also, our own guys in town, of course, who do such a great job. And so you're immersed in that world. But the PGA Tour channel has allowed me to be immersed in that world. And it's opened things up to me. And Trey Jones, who is a, a brilliant golf guy and, of course, the head coach at Florida State, he's done such an amazing job. And I've watched. and And we're friends and, and, and it means a lot to me uh, and he's got a great family just a wonderful wonderful guy 
I've watched the um, the emergence of these guys that came through Florida State. You know, to watch a Brooks Kepka and a Daniel Berger, and lately, how about Hank Libiota and you know all these guys? It's in Jonas Blix, and it just all through the years. I remember interviewing Drew Kittleson when he qualified to play in the Masters as an amateur, and of course, uh, Drew came on the show, and, and Trey walked with him. Uh, at the Masters, I I got a chance to walk at the Masters thanks to to Harry and and we did all that stuff right. Well, one thing is you end up getting an opportunity to talk to coaches all across the country because our our focus a lot of times is on collegiate golf but also the PGA Tour, and I have had uh, a, a chance to talk to coach after coach and and it could be a trainer for a player, it could be a head coach at a university, you name it. But Walter Chun is the head coach at Cal. Okay, he is the head coach at Cal where Colin Morikawa played. We have interviewed him more than once. What a sweetheart of a man. A brilliant coach, but also a really, really good guy. We've had Colin Morikawa on the show. I spoke to Colin Morikawa along with Trey Jones as he was dominating in his college career. And Trey was very early on, because he sees the best. Obviously, we've had some of the best in the world come through here. Trey was big on Colin Morikawa. He said, wait till you see, because we played against them. I've watched him in person. He's first class. He is first class across the board. Now, he was talking about a touch of class of his game, but also the mental makeup and the quality of person that he is. We look for people to root for, and as our heroes of the game begin to fade and, and, and leave the uh, limelight, Tiger Woods is broken. I don't know if he'll ever come back and be to golf what he has been for all of us. Uh, it doesn't appear likely, right? I mean, that, that last one seemed to be the last straw. But who knows? I wouldn't count him out of ever coming back, but certainly he's not going to hold the place that he did in, in golf. And so there is this vacuum. There is this this need to, to fill that, and we've got a lot of great candidates. John Rahm is obviously a great candidate to do that now that he's got a major in the, in the bag and certainly the game to go with it, and I think he's got a great flair and personality, and he's an interesting guy and seemingly a thoughtful guy, and, uh, and he's a, there's a willingness to talk, which is important. You have polarizing figures, and I'll get to them in a moment, in Bryson DeChambeau. You've got, obviously the Brooks Kepkas of the world, who are also polarizing and fun for us in this region to root for or to root against, but certainly to follow as a knoll. Daniel Berger and others. But the, 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 the young guns, as they're known, that came through. Jordan Spieth is playing great again. That's fun to see. But this young group that came out firing, and I'm talking about Victor Hovland. I'm talking about Colin Morikawa, Matthew Wolf, and others that joined the tour. Those guys have a lot of confidence, and there's no backup in them. It's all about whether or not they can handle the success because they're not afraid to come out and shoot low scores on the PGA Tour. These guys come out swinging. Nobody's giving them permission to go low. They go low day one, not afraid. One of the reasons for that is that college golf has advanced to a place where they play on these courses. PGA caliber courses. It used to be in yesteryear that wasn't the case. So there was a massive adjustment when you left college, when you were no longer an amateur playing collegiate golf, 
you not only stepped up against the elite competition in all of the land, you were now playing on courses, the likes of which in terms of challenge, you had never seen before. You'd never been put to the test the way that these guys are now. These guys play the best courses in the world. They get invited to play U.S. Open courses. They get invited to play, you know, think about uh, Riviera, wherever. They go to all these places and play these events. So they get a real chance to see what it's going to be like. So they come out there. The adjustment typically has more to do with mental adjustments in terms of there's a lot of downtime, a lot of alone time as opposed to when you're on a team. But I bring this up because watching Colin Morikawa today really warmed my heart. He's just a great kid. If you're looking for somebody to root for, root for that guy. Root for that guy. All class, super nice, put together, organized, hardworking, and not afraid. And if he ever puts it, that's the whole thing. If he ever puts it consistently, Look out, because there's not a better ball striker on the tour. He is a ball-striking Jesse. That guy with an iron in his hand, one of the best three ball strikers in the world at 24 years old or whatever he is, that's remarkable. But it's something to watch him hit an iron. So, you know, his problem is he doesn't always put it real well. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the funny thing. We think about players in all sports. When you begin to break down players – you know, it's relative, but you, you look at football. We've had a lot of conversations lately about Florida State and where Florida State's at. It's not that the kids here can't play relative to the competition that they've got to get to, to where they need to be to compete for championships. That's where we say, yeah, they're lacking. They don't have upper crust talent on this roster right now. The guys that are out there, though, are still elite football players. They're just not in that one percent that the Alabamas get or that that Clemson has in Ohio State have gotten it's hard to get those kids and that's what we're fighting to do and I guess that brings me to to a point here I was thinking about some of our conversation yesterday with the football team and I'm still buzzing from that because uh, this 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 month is for me going by very quickly and before you know it you're going to wake up I mean we're entering into another weekend you're going to wake up and it's going to be August that is so damn exciting next week is SEC ACC Media Days kickoff. It's on, guys. We're there. We made it. We pretty well made it. We pretty well got there. This this is the last weekend where you won't have football-related news, really. I mean, there's some because of the NFL ramping up and how close we are to the Hall of Fame game. But, but you're going to get both. You're going to get college and pro football news pretty much Starting next week, from that point forward to the end of the season, it's go time. What a way to start uh, a Libations Friday, thinking about that. Jeff Cameron, Show 97.9 ESPN Radio.
I would invite you over to Warchant.com to read Ira Chappelle's most recent article. Mixing all these ingredients will be Norvell's next big task. That from the managing editor at Warchant.com, Ira Chappelle. Read that piece earlier today because I do find that that topic interesting. Um, it, yeah, there, there, it's it, it raised eyebrows right off the bat when they decided to send uh, Mackenzie Milton and Jermaine Johnson, along with Jordan Travis, to the uh, ACC kickoff. Two of the three players have never played it down for Florida State. So you send two guys that have never played for you to go to the ACC kickoff. It's an indicator of the lack of talent that has been on this roster uh, that transfers are ending up representing the school for whom they've never played. Uh, but uh, but at the same time, I think it's the right move. I, I, I suppose you could have brought Devontae Love-Taylor. You could have brought Deshaun Corbin, both of whom have played, if you're looking on the offensive side of the ball, if you wanted to bring somebody in there. Um, but I also think, um, you know, Jordan Travis is obviously a slam dunk guy because of how much he played last year and how electrifying he was with the football in his hands when he did play. I mean, he was uh, really one of, the, one of the few bright spots. And then I think Mackenzie Milton being the most high-profile player on this team makes perfect sense. I mean, this is a guy whose feel-good story – uh, will grab a lot of attention in a positive way for Florida State. Uh, I think one of the interesting points Ira makes here, and it's a good one, it's salient, is that uh, it's nice bringing players that cannot talk about the 3-6 and six season you just had because they didn't play in that season. It's nice to have guys that can't answer those questions because if you want to shut down the reminders that they were awful a year ago and that they haven't been good in a while, well, have – Press members ask questions to guys who were not here to experience that. That's how you're going to shut that line of questioning down in a hurry. I don't know. I wasn't here. No idea. Doesn't affect me. You know, and good, good. We don't want to wallow in that. We're all very aware of uh, what just took place a season ago and what we're hoping to emerge from. Um, And I think, too, that, uh, you know, you think about, a player like Jermaine Johnson that they're bringing, you're bringing in a real leader. This is a guy that when you talk to him, and I've said this a lot, uh, ever since meeting him and talking with him, I really came away very, very impressed. And then to look at him, obviously, and then think about the spring that he had. He was really, really good. He was impactful every day at those practices and in the spring game itself. But he's a guy that I can tell you, if you're looking for insight, if you want context, here's a guy that has accepted the leadership role because he could have gone to a lot of places – uh, many of those places, and this is true of Mackenzie Milton as well. I keep wanting to reiterate this point because I think it's important in trying to get a gauge on who our head football coach is. He got two guys that could have gone just about anywhere. Two guys whose, you know, two guys whose abilities would have allowed them to go to a place that is winning and winning big. You know, I mean, I, I'm not saying Jermaine Johnson goes and starts at Alabama. But he could have gone to a lot of places that are a lot further along in the rebuild process. In fact, maybe on the cusp of uh, being a, a playoff caliber team, and they would have welcomed him in. He was productive at Georgia. It's not like he didn't get on the field in the mighty SEC and not produce. He did. So even though he was a bit of a role player there, well, Georgia's recruited as well as anybody in the country, so that makes sense. But there are about a handful of teams that do that at best. Everywhere else would have said, come on down. So why did he come to a place that went 3-6 and six a year ago? Why did he come to Florida State that hasn't had a good season in five years? That would be one Mike Norvell. 
Mackenzie Milton, by the way, again, services sought after. Who doesn't want a quarterback with his experience and production, his leadership, the intangibles, those things that players talk about whenever his name is mentioned, right? It's one of the first things that come up. You see the ability. The numbers are there. We've seen him play against elite competition and put up numbers. So you know he can play. But it's so fascinating to me that when you talk to the players at UCF and you talk to the players that have been with him and know him, that comes up, but so does the leadership. So does uh, the, the desire of those players to play for him. So that said, that's a desirous quality for a coach to have at the most important position. Therefore, the doors... Once the medical clearing happened, once he was cleared to play, once it was shown that he could play, that he that, that knee would be okay, albeit with a bulky kind of wonky brace that he has to wear right now, uh, once you saw that that was cleared, well, he could have gone anywhere. I mean, everybody needs a quarterback of that caliber. Everybody would want a quarterback who's put up those numbers. Everybody would want a quarterback that has those intangibles, those leadership qualities, those things that are mentioned uh, by the actual players themselves as well as his coaches and friends and parents and those that have interviewed him. I spoke with Andrea Adelson, ESPN.com, about that story. She was on the field the night she was in the box the night that that injury occurred. She's followed his story and written about it extensively. She talks about the quality person and hard worker that he is and the leader and all those things. So... It's almost universally agreed upon. Why did he come to Florida State? Why did he come here? That's Mike Norvell. Again, those kinds of accolades, those kinds of superlatives and descriptors of your head coach does not necessarily mean he's going to go out and win 10 games this year the way we all want him to. does not necessarily mean that Florida State, within two to three years, will be competing to win the Atlantic Division. They have a long road to hoe, but I do think they're indicators and signs that bode well for the future in a big way. To get yeses from guys like that that could have played at an elite level anywhere else that was further along in the process, both and or in rebuilding or competing for existing you know, opportunities to win championships. So to me, there's just been enough positive signs from players themselves, not wishful fans, not hopeful media types like myself, but the players the people that know those guys best, citing the head coach's ability to be honest with them, to speak openly and honestly, and still demand from them hard work and leadership, to have expectations of those individuals and not acquiesce and kowtow to what they want to hear, but rather tell them what is expected if they say yes. That brutal honesty and straightforward approach to having a conversation in which you're trying to win over the heart and mind of a player that could seriously impact your on-the-field product is a really good sign. A, it shows an awful lot of confidence in the process and the product that you're putting out there, meaning your acumen for the game, your X's and O's, your coaching prowess, clearly they bought into. But in addition to that, the way you challenge guys, the way you talk to guys resonates. And you know, Oddly enough, we already had that evidence. It was quickly lost in a series of missteps, a global pandemic, and a roster that couldn't win. But if you think about it, one of the one of the indicators that he was that guy that I'm describing now and that has been further reiterated this offseason or affirmed this season, he got Marvin Wilson to say, I'm coming back. He got 
to Maury and Terry to say, I'm coming back. And those two guys were seen as pivotal to whether or not Florida State could have any success last year. Now, again, this is before COVID hit. This is before they were absolutely decimated by not having a spring, not having the ability to install and, and really kind of change the hearts and minds of the existing players in the locker room and all of that. But at that time, getting yeses from those guys was considered a really big deal. And understandably so. Those guys had been jerked around and really not seen their careers go the way that they had hoped, and yet he got them to say yes. So to me, again, I think there's something, there's a sincerity there. There's an authenticity there. There's an ability to persuade and to convince that's going to be very, very key as they build this roster. And this roster, that's the story I'm referencing on Warchant.com, is made up of an awful lot of transfers. Seven, you know, if you will, of the 22 starters that will take the field this year for Florida State combined offense-defense are likely to be guys that didn't play here at all last year and, in fact, are transfers. That is a lot. It's a third, right, of your roster that is going to be out there now never having suited up for Florida State. And on the one hand, you're excited to flip the roster and to raise the level of play. And on the other, it's a real indicator of the work that has to be done and how far they still have to go because the fact that that was even a possibility suggests that he surveyed the landscape and went – Oh no. I don't have the guys. We can't we can't win like this. I mean, look at all of the guys that he brought in and my only complaint, if there is a complaint, is that I would have attempted, I think, to do something a little bit more dramatic at the linebacker position in the way of transfer portal and all of that. I, I think I would have you know, in the same way that they're hyper focusing on offensive linemen, which they have to do the way that he went and attacked the defensive backfield with uh, not only recruiting but obviously transfers as well and defensive ends, which was a real big deal. But, again, you only have so many spots. And you got to get what you can get and what's available. And you know what? I mean, some guys aren't convinced. Some guys don't want to wait around. Some guys don't want to assume that leadership role that I'm talking about. Jermaine Johnson accepted upon day one of saying, yes, I'm going to Florida State and leaving Georgia. Like that, those guys are kind of special that are willing to take that on, knowing that at best they're going to a bowl game of some kind. You know, so to me that's uh, it's a very fascinating topic to discuss, but it's also, to me, filled with positive uh, examples of what I think he's capable of. And we've seen this entire offseason kind of be that. It's, 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 it's a good sign. It's Jeff Cameron Show, 97.9 ESPN Radio. on the birds there, Jeff. Uh, so, really quickly, let's hear this sound bite because next hour I want to comment on this. This is funny, and he's got to love that he's got ammunition every week on the PGA Tour, uh, and Bryson's just serving it up to everybody. Here you go. This is Florida State's own Brooks Kepka. Um, compared to yesterday, I didn't think it was as 
as bad, so you can be a little bit more aggressive. Um, drove the ball great. Love my driver. Um, it's uh, everything's going really well. You know, I, I felt like my pace. Was, okay, you was don't even strong. have to hear anymore. That is just so good. Getting the shot in, so well done. He never misses. Always. I mean, he's a marksman, but it's an easy target. It's a very easy target. I'll comment on, and and if you don't know, that's in reference, well, that shot that he just took is in reference to Bryson DeChambeau complaining about his driver yesterday after hitting four of 14 fairways and committing um, a grievous error uh, in in not only showcasing that frustration, but doing so uh, by criticizing directly a manufacturer of said club, Cobra, that pays him millions of dollars and has spent countless hours with their engineers manufacturing the club to his specifics and i i don't i just don't oh buddy why is it every week i think i would uh i'd spend some time this week uh if i were if i were him um after i missed the cut is he about to miss the cut i haven't looked uh in a while here um is he teetering on? What is the cut line? I mean, I, I guess we haven't looked at it in over an hour here. But last I looked, it was hovering around two over. But I'll check on Bryson. All right. You know, he probably wants to be anywhere but there right now. I don't know. But if I did miss the cut, or even if I didn't, I'd have to spend some time looking inward a little bit here about why it is I'm creating the kind of distractions for myself that don't bode well for me moving forward playing golf. You, you want to avoid that stuff, and it's not hard to do. You know, just keep your head down, work hard, and play golf. You can answer questions honestly, but you have to have some decorum about you. I mean, good Lord. Moreover, you have to be willing to take responsibility. A couple NFL notes here real quick. Again, next hour I'll comment on that because that was – Truly unprofessional and uh, maddening if you're a fan of him. I, I don't know how many fans he has left, but this story is bizarre. One of them is uh, not surprising and really a testament to medical science and the advancements of medical science. And the other is, um, is just sad. But uh, we all remember good old Vince Wilfork, right? Huge Vince Wilfork. The other day I got asked the question uh, of former Canes or Gators that you like. That went on to play and that you thought to yourself, you know, I like that guy, even though he played for our arch rivals. Uh, who, who is it you like? And I named a few guys. I said that for Florida, I, I've grown to kind of somewhat from a distance know Jacques Green. He, he, he's, he's a good guy, interesting guy. And named a couple other guys. Uh, Wilbur Marshall, I always liked him a lot at the University of Florida. Great linebacker back in the day. And so from there, I named a couple of Miami guys that I liked. Andre Johnson, the receiver. Always loved him. Beast of a player. Really philanthropic. Nice guy. Kind-hearted. Uh, better angels of our nature, uh, you saw from him over the course of his life, giving every Thanksgiving and every Christmas and all the stuff that he did. So he, so I'm a fan of his. Vince Wilfork would have been on my list. Former Kane. Big-ass dude. Kind of the immovable object. He was a funny guy, too, when he played. This story, not funny. Will Vince Wilfork's son charged with stealing his Super Bowl rings. What the hell? His son was arrested in May, charged with stealing more than $300,000 worth of former Patriots and Texans defense alignments jewelry, including two Super Bowl rings. The 23-year-old 
DeAndre Holmes Wilfork was arrested late May, about two weeks after Vince Wilfork reported the jewelry missing, which also included two, a uh, two AFC championship rings and a national championship ring from his days with Miami, the last time they were relevant, 22 years ago or so. According to police, Wilfork noticed the missing jewelry more than a year ago when he was packing up for a move from his French, uh, Friendswood home but was unsure if he had put the jewelry in storage or left it at his other home in Florida. Credits to Vince that he's not walking around wearing all these rings. If you see these rings, they're incredibly gaudy. They are amazing, and to put them on temporarily is a cool thing, and to take a picture of your hand or to wear at a special event or some sort of uh, uh, you know charitable event in which you're showcased for whatever reason. You know, you'd, you'd break those out. Uh, but, but for the most part, that's not something you ever really need to put on. My buddy, uh, who worked uh, for the Florida Marlins, uh, Miami Marlins now, for, for eons, won a World Series ring as part of uh, the workforce there with the Marlins when they beat the Yankees. And uh, he still has that ring, of course, and it is something to behold. But it is also an invitation to be shot uh, if you were to wear it out and about. So I always, I always marvel when players have these things stolen because they're on their person or they're with them in a hotel room. Like, why, why do you have your Super Bowl ring, Mike, with you? At the, what are you doing? Arrogant ass. But Vince didn't. He thought, oh, I don't know. These guys, did I put them in storage? What did I do with them? He had no idea. Are they in a safe in my home in Miami? Gosh, I should probably check because I'd like to know where my championship rings are. After receiving a message from someone who had seen the jewelry listed on sports memorabilia sites, <laughs> hey now. Will Fork was able to locate the buyer who said he paid DeAndre $62,000 for the rings and has since returned them to the Friendswood Police Department after they were reported stolen. DeAndre Holmes, Will Fork, arrested by the police there and released on $300,000 bond. Um, that young man was dismissed from the University of Houston's football team after he was charged with drug possession uh, four years ago, five years ago. That's a toughie. Of course, Will Fork, for his part, played 13 years in the National Football League, including his final two with the Texans before retiring after the 2016 season. So that's one story, and that's not a good one. Here's to one that is a testament to the medical advancements that I referred to earlier, and that is that we found out Tom Brady played the entire season last year with a torn MCL in his left knee the entire year. He suffered the injury in his final season with the Patriots. It worsened during his first year in Tampa, according to a report from the Tampa Times. He was not listed on the injury report all season, underwent surgery to repair the knee just after the Super Bowl. He has not discussed specifics about the surgery, saying only it was pretty serious. He suffered a torn ACL, of course, we all remember back in the day in the same knee in 2008, week one. You know how I remember that one? I drafted him. And that happened, week one. And I went, okay. Well, that, of course, just occurred. Buccaneers quarterbacks coach Clyde Christensen said in June he believed Brady's knee last season was a nagging nuisance and it affected him all year long. Quote, I don't think he was 100% last year, relaying a conversation he had with Brady the morning after the Bucs won the Super Bowl. His quote, or close to a quote, was, hey, I'm going to get my knee fixed up. I'm going to be better next year, by the way. You'll be excited about that. 
Brady wore a brace on the knee during the Super Bowl and during the boat parade, for that matter. Wearing the brace is not uncommon for the 43-year-old Brady, who also wears it when golfing and during other recreational activities, like throwing the Lombardi Trophy from boat to boat and celebrating victories. The seven-time Super Bowl winner was named the Super Bowl MVP for the fifth time in his career, throwing for 200 yards, three touchdowns, 31-9, to ass-kicking over the Chiefs. He passed for 4,633 yards and 40 touchdowns last year. Oh, by the way, that somehow happened very, very quietly. Because I say that out loud now again, and you're probably struck like, oh, those are really good numbers. Yeah, yeah. 43-year-old Tom Brady last year in his first year in a new system with new players threw for 4,633 yards and 40 touchdowns. And that's why I don't believe a single word of this MCL story, and I believe it's a TB12 (laughs) ploy. (laughs) Oh, my word. But what I would tell you is that in the 80s and early 90s, if you tore your MCL or your ACL, uh, you didn't play football. That was the end of the season. There was no coming back. There was no sustaining a level of play. There was no. Now, granted, he plays a position where you could do it because of what they have in terms of these braces and being able to support knees that are ravaged by injury, and that's come a long way too. But if you had to run, like actually run and be explosive, you could not play. That was going to be the end of your season. If you're a receiver or a linebacker or a defensive end trying to get off the ball and rush the passer, obviously a corner or a safety or a running back, you just you can't play on an injury like that. But back in the day, not only would you not be able to play and no brace could help you, but that surgery meant you might miss the next year and that the ability to overcome all of this was seriously in question. Guys' careers ended because of this. So how far we've come now. You know, I had, uh, when I was at Etsu, I had arthroscopic surgery. Uh, I had a couple surgeries, but one of them was just an arthroscopic surgery on my knee. And, you know, uh, at that time, it still wasn't it wasn't a huge deal to have arthroscopic surgery, but it was still something you had to rehabilitate for weeks on end back then. You hear about guys getting arthroscopic surgery now on their knee, and they play play 10 days later, 7 days later in some case. Oh, that was not an option for me or anybody else back then. Back then, it was still invasive enough that you were going to have to rehab. It's amazing how far they've come. It really is pretty cool. Hour number two, forthcoming. Stay with Jeff Cameron Show. first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com <laughs> 